Creating written content for trade or national media or for specialist websites is a great way to increase your profile and promote your expertise. And it's not the compliance minefield that many fear it is. Advisor Lounge provides a creative, supportive and motivational environment in which to hone your content creation skills and provides a way of showcasing your work. My guest today talks about how Advisor Lounge came about and how it can provide a platform for advisors eager to create their own written content. Listen to tips on how to create great written content, ensure it's engaging and can promote your expertise and create business opportunities. That's all right here in episode 13 of the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Hi, it's Roger Edwards here and welcome to the Empath Podcast. This is the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. You can find the notes that go with the show at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath. In the meantime, let's get on with the show and prepare to be inspired. So let's get started. I'm delighted to introduce my guest today, and he is Phil Young. Phil is Managing Director at 360, a support service company for financial advisors, looking after 750 directly authorised firms in the UK. On the side, Phil is actually a painter. Not the sort of painter that decorates houses, actually a painter of portraits. And he's working his way through painting people in the financial services industry, and which he describes as a veritable rogues gallery. So, Phil, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Hi, Roger. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you very much. Before we start uh, talking about today's main discussion topic, let's find out a little bit more about you, Phil. So tell everybody a little bit about your background so that we can get to know you and find out about what makes you tick. I I kind of always describe myself as a bit of a failed lawyer, basically. So so by training, um, I went went to law school, did a law degree, uh, moved on to to law school after that, essentially to try and stay out of employment as long as possible, I I suspect. But at the time that I left, whilst sort of the expectation myself included was that I'd go into law and, and practice as a, a solicitor. There were very few opportunities out there. So I, like a lot of people, I think being honest in financial services, ended up falling into into the industry by accident rather than by choice. And that was probably around 17 or so years ago now where I worked for a small firm that specialised in, in kind of a sort of niche compliance areas, complex areas. So it could, suited the kind of legal background. Um, I moved on from there to, to work in a much bigger organisation at Bank Hall, which was really kind of taking off at the time and growing. And I learned an awful lot in a completely different way from my experience there. And then we set up and launched 360 March 2003. So I was a a partner in that business. It was the first time I've been involved in in actually running a business as well. And I think like most people that have have run um, small businesses in the past, you find that you end up doing pretty much everything. It's a real baptism of fire and it's been a an incredibly enjoyable journey over the past 11 years or so to, to get to where we are today and I'm, and I'm really proud of, of the business that we've built um, it wasn't just me involved in it I'm, I'm now managing director I get the, the, the chance to, to steer it in the direction that I want it to go uh, and I've managed to keep I think the culture um, still very much a small business uh, getting things done mentality and hopefully a pretty enjoyable place for most people to work as well 
I think culture is very important in small businesses. Obviously, I had that experience of being one of the founding directors of Bright Grey many years yeah. ago, and, and a lot of the focus we had there was on a great environment for the staff with the idea that if the staff are really motivated, then ultimately the customers will get a really good uh, level of service from them. Just tell us a little bit more about 360, because you describe it as a service company for financial advisors. So are you providing marketing services and compliance? Is that the sort of remit? I guess it's a pretty broad service in reality. In my experience, in a lot of, with a lot of businesses, you're only really famous for maybe one or two things. So I guess what we're, we're most famous for is the kind of compliance and regulatory risk consultancy that we give. All, all of our firms are directly authorised, so you know, it, it, is, it is genuine consultancy. They pay a fee for it. And I guess it's a, it's a nice relationship. I think you know, having worked in networks and the like in the past, at times it feels like people are, are kind of not necessarily taking advice but being told what to do and you're there under sufferance that isn't necessarily anyone's fault it's just the, the structure of the relationship we're providing consultancy services so predominantly it's compliance but there's also research technical advice that we give we do give some marketing support along the way and there's business development consultancy training you know we provide a huge suite of uh, training uh, face-to-face and online for, for firms as well so it's pretty much everything that we can think of all, all of the income that we generate is generated from you know, advisory businesses that pay us for services. They've got an option. You know, we, we, there's no kind of massive lock-ins or anything like that. We're not managing the commissions, so um, they can walk away anytime they want to. So we've got to be we've got to be really good at what we do to make sure that people will continue paying for it. So culturally, within our business, we have to have an attitude that reflects our own clients. You know, most. Advisory businesses in the UK are small or medium-sized businesses. Even the large advisory businesses aren't big businesses in the sort of traditional sense of the word. So I think it's important culturally that we can actually reflect how they act and behave and how they want to, to run their businesses and make sure that, that they recognise the same qualities in, in us that, that they have or they aspire to in themselves. And obviously there's been so many changes in the, in the financial services market recently with, with RDR and changing priorities. Yeah. What would you say are the, the things that IFAs are asking for support in the most? What, what, what help are they? What are the trends in, in what they're asking for? In I, think, I think we've just done a, um, a really big survey on our own clients. We do it every August to work out what the training plan is for next year. And one of the questions that we ask in there is, first of all, what do you want? Uh, and second of all, what's keeping you awake at night? There is actually a slight disconnect in there at the moment. So in terms of what advisors want, is there's still a there's a desire to talk about and discuss and focus on the top line about bringing more clients in, more sales training, more um, more motivational stuff as well. What's actually keeping people awake at night in the background, which maybe is where there needs to be, I guess we need to kind of decide the difference between what people want and what people need as well on this, is basically more cost-based and more of the grunt work around tidying bits of process up and things like that. So what, what people are concerned about is certain things that they can't control, like increasing regulatory costs, uh, also things that they can control, uh, within the cost base within their own business as well, such as uh, inefficiencies that we've got in their own business. And there's also seems to be a, a growing issue and a problem around recruitment and being able to develop and grow their own business by being able to get the right calibre of individuals into their own firm. And that goes right across the board. It's not just new advisors. It's also good quality power planners, good quality admin staff. Uh, the whole lot. It seems to be a, a real sort of fight for that, that kind of person in, in the industry at the moment. 
and you can help people identify this talent and, and uh, where they can get it. In, in, in my experience, in a lot of cases, there's no different in my own business. And you know, it, it helps the fact that I've run a small business in the past because I, I can identify these problems myself. Because you're so close to it, you don't necessarily see what you've got in your own business already. So I find that there's, there's an awful lot of emphasis on how can we bring new people in. And sometimes you, people miss the kind of, you know, they've got real nuggets within their own business that they can develop and, and restructure things and organize and provide a little bit more nurturing to those people that would actually resolve the problem a lot quicker and a lot cheaper in many respects than going out trying to trying to recruit people. So one of the things that we, that we do do and we can do is one, we can provide the facilities for people to outsource work that they just don't want to do themselves. So some of that grunt work, there's not a lot of point in recruiting that in. We've done, yeah, we can either provide bodies to do it or with research, for example, even if people want to tweak it or tailor it, we've done 80% of the work for them. So it's not quite as dramatic as it needs to be. Equally, some of the business consultancy stuff that we do, you know, we'll sit down and just have a chat to the business owner around where they want to get to. And... Because we know the firms, we're in there to do audits and things like that. You can you can sit there and say, "What about that guy over there? Have you not thought about bringing him through or developing a little bit more?" It's a classic thing with with a lot of business owners. You're that close to it yourself, and you're usually doing multiple jobs that you don't have time to to lift your head up a little bit and, and think a bit more laterally about how to solve problems. I think one of the topics that keeps coming up on the Empath Podcast is this whole issue of allowing people to grow and allowing people to be entrepreneurial actually and and I guess that unfortunately one of the side effects of regulation in the financial services industry is that sometimes you can spend so much time ticking all the boxes that you need to tick that some of that entrepreneurial spirit some of that creativity gets stifled so what you're really offering advisors here is you're freeing them up from some of that bureaucracy and some of that form filling and allowing their people to be creative and to be on Entrepreneurial. I think so, and I think we've seen sort of post RDR after yeah, there's a sort of six to nine month maybe bedding in period. But because firms are now very focused on servicing existing clients, a lot of the form filling and the and the, and the tick boxing and all the rest of it, a lot of that work and and a lot of it's peripheral because you're signing up lots of new clients as well. It's new business and it's transactional. A lot of that's fallen to one side now. So we we're, we find that on average, each advisor's servicing maybe around 150 clients to 200 of them. They're not aggressively out there all the time looking for lots of new clients. I mean, so, some firms are, but a lot of people are just managing existing clients. And a lot of that, a lot of the bureaucracy around it, because it's not lots of new business, has kind of disappeared a little bit now. We are finding that a good number of business owners are, are now starting to kind of think about what to do next and where to take business next because they're, they're less focused on just chasing down the next piece of business and more and they've got a little bit more time on their hands to think a bit more strategically and again that's one of the other things that has been talked about before on the podcast is this whole idea of how we can focus on business development and as you say strategy where is this business going to be in two or three years time how am I going to market myself perhaps in the local community and that takes us nicely into I think um, Phil today's main discussion which is probably 
probably about helping advisors to do just that. And you've set something up which is called the Advisor Lounge. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's um, a business that myself and another another advisor, Paul Gorman, uh, put together. Basically, Paul, Paul had experience anyway in running um, various blogging sites, and it worked reasonably well. I, I kind of sat down and um, I chatted to various other people about this sort of stuff in the past as well. It's just a, it's just something that I became interested in. I think sort of importantly, it's if you're not interested in it, getting dragged into it, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. I was just kind of interested full stop in social media, uh, blogging, writing fundamentally so it really interested me and we'd kind of I think you know kind of looking at a lot of the traditional trade press in particular of, of late I'd reached the conclusion that a lot a lot of the articles that I read in there that I was interested in looking at were actually people that I knew a lot of them were clients that were that were writing for, for the trade press in particular so we, we kind of thought you know there's an opportunity potentially to just to invite people like that to add it into a site that's, that's for advisors that's promoting and all of the really good content that advisors are actually producing at the moment and hopefully get more people involved in it as well rather than just the, the sort of usual faces that have got PR people in place that you know, that can do all this and, and having it as a an, an advisor-led vehicle means that you know, there's not really a need to exclude individuals from it and it's a fairly safe testing ground for those people that just have a view that they want to have you know, they might just want to have a rant and get something off the chest they might want to develop and practice blogging and then and go into using it for their own website but they want a kind of a safe haven to, to put content onto the first place to kind of grow the wings so to speak on that um, and we you know because of the context of content tax that we've got in the industry we felt there was a, a good opportunity both to get the content in there and also to get people looking at it fairly quickly and it took off a lot quicker than we expected it to to be honest with you, you know because we were surprised at how many people want to write for it and we're also been pleasantly surprised by the amount of traffic that we got through really early on so it's been really good the feedback's really good on it the content is arguably a cut above you know, a typical blogging site would be so we try and refer to the content as articles because we don't think that it should be something that's sort of put down compared to an article that would go on in the trade press, if you like. We think the content's really good. We try and keep the, the content high. We fed back to people that put stuff on there that we didn't think was quite right or appropriate. So where it's just a direct promotion of, of something, we've, we've kind of blocked a few people. But we've politely had a word with them in the background to suggest how to tweak it and change it to make it right. So there's a, there's a bit of advice that we're giving people along the way. But because we set the tone right really early on and we said we didn't want this to be you know, full of kind of weird comments from people that were just, just being unpleasant about each other on there. We wanted people to focus on, to put a big idea on the site and to have people discuss those big ideas. People have just took to that. We've, we've not really had to moderate it very much or to, or to block stuff on there because people have just used it in the spirit that it was set up in the first place. And I think I've been looking through the site um, over the last few days in preparation for this podcast and I get what you're saying. I think in the trade press quite a lot of people aspire to write for the trade press I've written for the trade press in the past and, and, and quite a lot of advisors do that all the time but as you say there's always some sort of corporate message eventually because ultimately you're, you're writing an article usually for free and you ultimately want to promote the company you're working for what I like about the advisor lounge is that there's quite a lot of just 
good information. You know, the people that are writing this stuff aren't writing it to say, hey, come and have a look at how good I am as an individual. Yeah. I'm, I'm giving you tips and ideas that could work for your business or good, um, interesting stuff to read. There's a great one that caught my attention, Phil, and, and the headline is, what Michelin stars have to do with your marketing? And again, the, the, the guy who, who wrote this article, uh, John Pittman, makes a great observation that Michelin stars, which we all know about through Master Chef, celebrity chefs, and all of that. Michelin was originally creating tyres. They build tyres for cars, and yet they associated themselves with restaurants and have created this most amazing piece of content that pretty much everybody in the world recognises, which is nothing to do with um, tyres. But of course, Michelin have ridden on the back of that uh, that marketing wave, and, and, and obviously it benefits their brand through, throughout. And I think that that sort of article, you're not really going to see something like that in financial advisor or money marketing so presenting it to to your uh, customers here on the advisor lounge is, is a great resource in my opinion yeah and for me it kind of as an article it just sums up the purpose if you like or the, certainly the commercial purpose that, you, that sits behind advice yeah you know, writing for advice lines or using social media generally or, or writing for your own blog site but it, it's something that gives a, a completely level playing field for every every business out there so it doesn't really matter what size you are it's just about the quality of the content that you put out there and equally I think you're right in your observation when, you know, when in your days working for a product provider the work that you do is invariably there's an obligation to lead it towards pointing fairly explicitly at some point pointing towards a particular product I think where advisors in particular have got a distinct advantage is that they're really not constrained by the bureaucracy that exists within larger companies around content and they don't necessarily have, a, have an obvious product to sell in quite the same way so the shackles are off really I think for advising that that's why I think it's a really useful tool not necessarily specifically just advisor lounge but just being able to produce content in its own light it's something that big companies can't do and, and then they struggle to do well. I don't think there's a reason why they fundamentally can't do it, but within most larger organisations, they've got the resources to produce content. They don't necessarily have a, an angle on anything and, and certainly they struggle to, to get anything out very quickly uh, and respond to things and, and catch uh, a wave of sentiment, which is the sort of stuff that you need to do if you're gonna if you're gonna have real impact out there. Absolutely, and and, and being swift and nimble is obviously very important as well. And I think you're right about big companies. Very often, somebody will write a really good piece of content be quite creative then the lawyers will have a read of it and they'll get their red pen out then the compliance people will have a read of it and they'll get their red pen out and by the time the article eventually appears weeks later probably bears no relation to the original piece of writing and, and I think what you've got here again is without that without being shackled by that bureaucracy you're allowing people to effectively just write stuff and it appears pretty much I imagine as was originally written with very few changes other than Absolutely. obvious spelling mistakes, etc. But we don't edit anything at all on there. I mean, the odd occasion where we've corrected an obvious spelling mistake if we've spotted it. Yeah, we're not. There's no, there's no editorial stuff over it. I think there's been only a couple of occasions that we've ever made any, any actual changes to a comment that's been posted on the site as well. And that's just for legal reasons, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, absolutely. Large bank or something like that for it. But we've always let people know about that as well. So and they've kind of gone. Oh, Oh, right, sorry, get it. So even with those sorts of things, we've never done, we've never made any amendments for people without letting them know. And I, I found, you know, I've, I've written content for people in the past and, and continue to do so. 
And sometimes when you put something in there that's a little bit racier and then find that someone's edited out without even mentioning it to you, it can be, it can be frustrating. So but we know a, a lot of people that write content for advice lounge as well have been picked up by the trade press. And we even have people in the national press get interested in it as well. So I, I do see it as, as being a useful breeding ground, if you like, for people that either either write elsewhere but want to put something a little bit more radical or something that they wouldn't normally put in the, in the, in the mainstream press. Uh, on our site or people that are new to it as well that want to have a go want to um, sort of build up a bit of experience because r- writing content's like it's like anything else the, the more you do it you know you need to practice it to, to get better and the way to get better at it I think isn't to endlessly redraft and re-edit something that you've already written it's a case of write it check it over give it a couple of once overs and make, make changes to it get it published and learn from it after that and then write another one you know writing a bit more volume and getting into the groove of writing these things you'll learn from feedback that you get particularly on social media you know people will kind of people will either respond to it or won't respond to it and you'll kind of you'll get much a much better feel for how these things work by by just doing it basically i agree and uh, it's always been one of my mantras as well is i almost keep a not not a paper notebook anymore i actually use my iphone note facility but if you're walking down the street you might see a poster or an advert on the side of a bus or something like that and you immediately think oh there's an article i could write for the blog on that so quick type into the notes and then later on just basically sit down unload the thoughts onto the blog and before you know it you've got something really quite interesting and quite powerful and you're right it doesn't need that much editing and you know, I've had so many conversations in the past with compliance people who've said who've changed whole swathes of paragraphs and I've said why have you changed that well I wouldn't have written it like that I said, well, does it comply? And they'll say yes it did well then why have you changed it because you're not the writer and I'm, I'm really, really interested in this this nurturing facility that you've created here, Phil, to get people the confidence to do that and to express themselves. And, and ultimately, if they go on to write for the trades or even the nationals, that's all the better because ultimately it's going to promote financial advisors and financial advice and ultimately raise profiles with the public which is what we've yeah, pretty much everybody that's written for advisor lounge on a consistent basis gets phone calls from the trade press saying can you do stuff for us but one of the things that you, you kind of mentioned before as well we are chatting about around compliance uh, with, the, with the FCA's guidance on social media, one of the big things that with a, with a 360 hat on and a compliance sort of advisory hat on that we keep trying to get the message out to people is not to worry about, it, rather than thinking about how can I create a financial promotion and, and wedge a load of risk warnings in there and stuff like that, that the whole kind of, you know, what works really well, as, as we're talking about the Michelin Man and Michelin Stars and things like that, is it's actually telling a story that's, that's not a financial promotion, you know, that's not talking directly about a financial product or, or services. What people like, and I think this is right across the board, is just stories and information. Even if it's market commentary, that doesn't fall under the financial promotion rule. So one of the things that we're trying to coach people to do is how to, how to not create an advert but say something interesting at the same time because it means that you don't have to worry about compliance full stop. You know, you, you, there are certain things where it might... It might not require a risk warning, but you still need to log in and record it on a register. But there's a whole swathe of information out there that you can write about that people are interested in that will draw you and attract you to to your services ultimately anyway that don't fall under the financial promotion rules at at all. So I think compliance is kind of billed as a big, fearful, terrible 
thing. There are obviously issues that you do need to think about and address. But if you if you're looking at if you focus on getting the right content that people want to read and will be interested in it, usually isn't you know it isn't about talking about a particular product or a mortgage rate or something like that. If you just I always kind of think about it in these terms. If you walked into a room full of people who you thought were potential people that would actually buy your services as an advisor, you wouldn't walk up to them and say, have you heard about the latest mortgage rate at whatever percent it is? You'd be considered a very weird uh, and uninteresting individual. You'd just have a chat to people about what they're interested in, what you like and things like that. Potentially, it'd lead on to a chat around what you did for a living and somebody might say, yeah, actually, I could do with a bit of help on that. Uh, And social media, in a way, you know, the social aspect of it is the thing to focus on. It's no different from that. You know, you just chat about what you're interested in, what your thoughts are in a general way, and people will come to you and say, what is it you do? I'm interested in the views that you've got, etc., in the same way as they would do in a face-to-face situation. I've just got my iPhone out and turned to the notes page and typed all that in as we've been talking, Phil, because, again, that's a great idea for a potential future blog. You've just yeah. described to my, in, to my mind what content marketing is all about, and obviously the Advisor Lounge is, is very much a content marketing site. A lot of marketing, unfortunately, is still very much about me, 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 as opposed to what the benefit to you is and I think that it comes across very strongly from what I've read on the advisor lounge that it's always about the advisor and not about the individual promoting themselves it's about helping, it's about nurturing it's about coaching I suppose and development and great ideas Yep, I think that, that's, the, that's the ethos behind it and uh, we've just been really lucky that we've had a lot of great writers and some of them are really good writers I tend to find with advisors and small business owners, you, you don't, you, people don't tend to have a huge amount of fear about expressing an opinion that maybe not everybody in the world is going to agree with. You know, you have to make a few broad generalisations. Um, I see people that do get worried about, you know, putting little caveats and carve-outs a lot in every single sort of article that they like to say. Obviously, not this doesn't apply to everybody, and sometimes this doesn't. It? And you kind of think. It, it doesn't read well ultimately. People are, are a lot more forgiving than you think, and the people that aren't particularly forgiving, it doesn't matter what you put in there. That you know, they'll they'll just read whatever they want to into it anyway. So you, you kind of as well to kind of make allow yourself to make a few generalisations in there. Uh, people understand that you're making generalisations, in my experience anyway, and um, and kind of publish and be damned a little bit. <laughs> no, that's, that, I absolutely agree with that. What's the one big idea that you'd like those people who are listening to this Empath podcast today to take away from the experiences you've had with the Advisor Lounge development? There's, there's lots of kind of technical advice that we've, we've learned along the way around around how to write, particularly if, if you're interested in search engines and picking up on things as well. The, the, the one thing that I'd say is basically around being being really clear about what it, about the point that you're trying to make. Um, a lot of the content that I've seen over the years that people have struggled with it, it hasn't hasn't really worked that well. Starts off with a really long analogy. Um, it, it's people not being quite brave enough just to basically make a really strong point really early on in what they're trying to write, and then sort of back it up with some information afterwards. And um, you've just got to have, have an opinion. You know, cluttering it with too much detail and uh, t- you know, a long-winded analogy that goes goes in there. No one really wants to listen to that. A lot of the people, because I can see the stats as to how people read things on the advice lounge as well. Um, a huge proportion of people are actually reading it on mobile devices. So, you, so you're even less tolerant of, of a really lengthy blog that you're not quite sure what what we're talking about. 
I, I just kind of, you know, what you need to do is if you're going to punch people between the eyes with a with a point, then you might as well do it really quickly and really early on and get that across to people. So I wouldn't be afraid of I wouldn't be afraid of making a really bold point if it's something that you actually genuinely believe in, because I think you'd be surprised at how many other people out there agree with you on it. I think if people are refreshingly outspoken, they're going to get listened to. I think that's the bottom line. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So, Phil, thanks for a fascinating insight to the development of the Advisor Lounge and how you're encouraging advisors to produce their own content, to write their own blogs, and to be refreshingly outspoken about the topics that motivate them. Before we go, I always like to finish the Empath podcast with a quick fire round of business questions. Are you happy to stay for a couple of extra minutes yeah, to do that? Absolutely. If there was one thing that you could change about the financial services industry, perhaps by waving that proverbial magic wand, what would it be? I think I'd make the language that's used a lot simpler. I'd get rid of all the acronyms, get rid of all the over-complicated explanations of things and force everybody to talk in, in layman's terms about I'm all for simplicity. Keep it simple, stupid. I think that as an industry we do use too much verbose language, too much jargon and of those three-letter acronyms that you mentioned again, yeah, let's just burn them all. <laughs> What's the one business model, product or campaign that's caught your attention in the last year, even if it was from a competitor? to fill tell us what it was and what you liked about it um the kind of i guess the campaign that caught my eye was probably the one um the guys at nucleus did kind of star wars stuff it's a little bit cheesy but um it's just interesting to see an idea which revolves around almost trying to get other people that are well known on social media and the like to to create awareness for you so and the way in which they actually sent out stuff to 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 a number of people who were then going to effectively promote the fact that they'd received it and it catches on from there and, and people will be talking about it an awful lot I think was in, innovative the idea I think increasingly that, that what you need to do to create an impact is to get other people to talk to each other about it as opposed to um, a traditional media campaign approach which is very one way you know it's, it's sort of top down here's the information that we want here's a wraparound around a, a trade mag or whatever it is and you don't get any feedback from it you need to get people talking to each other about about product or a service or, or whatever it is that you want to promote and, and how, how much it, that worked and I don't know but you know, that's that's the idea that they cottoned onto which was uh, which was different. It had a sort of viral quality about it, didn't it? I mean, I, yeah. I I really enjoyed that campaign as well and especially the one where you associated yourself with a sp- particular Star Wars character. I think I was actually Darth Vader or or Darth yeah. Roger as it came back in on, on on the site. Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your life and your business the, the, the one interesting thing we've not quite got there with at the moment that I think will have a big impact in the business is we've upgraded now to the latest version of um, Microsoft and on the operating system side of things um, and it comes with a suite of kind of interactive tools like Link for example which Microsoft owns Skype, so fundamentally behind the scenes it's Skype that's being used that allows you to have um, very cheap conference calls with people. Uh, We've got lots of staff that are already taking that up at the moment and using it quite heavily Uh, and are also using the instant messaging facility that's on there as well, which is a a radical departure from the blunt tool that email has become now. Um, I'm very big on trying to get people to talk face-to-face where they can do, or at least over the telephone. Uh, to try and reduce the amount of long-winded emails that people send about. You know, email is a great tool, but it should be used really for short, punchy things, I think. The fact that Link 
is being heavily adopted within our own business now. Uh, we're not quite there having everybody in there, but it means that, yeah, and hopefully gone are the days of really expensive you know, teleconferences and things like that that only very big companies could, could set up. So we'll be using basically Skype for business purposes in a, in a, in a proper way. Uh, we're doing that already, and it's uh, it's slowly starting to, to seep into the, the fabric of the business now. And of course, face to face over Skype is one of the ways that financial advice could develop in the future as well. Yeah. And finally, what is the best business book you've ever read? Tell us why you like it so much and what you took from it. I've, I've only ever read one business book. I'm kind of like a bit against them in many respects, just because I'm, I'm an awkward sod. So I like to, I like to, I like to be a bit um, cantankerous like that. And the one book that I read, it was when I first started working, so it's probably about 17 years ago. Uh, it was a fa- fairly simple book, just, I think it was called Running a Professional Services Business. And it was aimed at really anyone that's working in a fee-based business, whether it's an accountant, a solicitor, uh, running a compliance firm. And particularly nowadays, perhaps less so back then when I read it, but certainly nowadays, running an advisory business where it fits more with that model of a professional services firm. What was really good about it was it went through the whole range of different areas it got to look at, including marketing. It effectively, when I look back on it now, it explained how content marketing works from the perspective that if you're trying to sell professional services, no, nobody understands the quality of what you do unless they've experienced it, and that's the that's the, the nub of the problem. There isn't a product, a tangible product that you can that you can give people to ha- have a have a trial of. Uh, so the only way to basically lure people in and attract them is to give something away for free of yourself which is a, a real kind of web model nowadays and it's kind of you know a lot of, of what's behind content marketing so in terms of being able to promote those sorts of services you basically you've got to give a little bit away of yourself so in, in, the, in those days it was you know a lot of it was around solicitors or barristers that will do seminars and, and talk about subjects and things like that you know it, it, when it comes down to it a lot of it is just providing content for free as a way of attracting them towards you and demonstrating expertise uh, there, was, there were a lot of, load of other really useful things in there as well but that was the, the main thing that I took away from it at the time and before we sign off Phil tell everyone how they can connect with you on Twitter LinkedIn Google Plus and of course your website the, my, my Twitter address is is at Phil Young 360 and the 360 is just the numbers 360 uh, I'm on LinkedIn you can just find me under, under uh, my name Phil Young as well um, it's fairly easy to, to sort of search on there and the Advisor Lounge website address is www.advisorlounge.co.uk and I'm also on phil.young at 360 services which is all 360 is all in text.co.uk as well Phil thank you so much for talking to to me today a fascinating discussion about content about promotion and about growing and nurturing businesses let me wish you every success and i hope to catch up with you again really soon that's been great thanks roger Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast, also known as the Empath Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath for links to the apps and books and topics we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a comment. 
If you are a provider, advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model that you want to talk about, do please get in touch. I'd be delighted to have you as a guest on the Empath Podcast. And before we go, just to remind you that nothing that my guests and I talked about on the show is intended to be financial advice of any kind. It's just our thoughts and opinions, okay? Thank you.